This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, and I am bringing you a new and exciting episode today. I've been doing this more and more recently, and it's been really, really helpful with my schedule, and I appreciate how many people are reaching out to help me out with keeping this podcast going. Um, And I have Dr. Amanda Young from California State University, Long Beach and a group of her OSEP-funded APE master's students, and they uh, had Dr. Michelle Grenier. Uh, they interviewed her. They had her in, uh, like, an actual studio, and they interviewed her about her career in adaptive physical education and one of her specialties, which is inclusion and universal design for learning. Uh, and I'll just do a quick shout-out. So Michelle, and she's been on our podcast before, but Michelle is a um, is the former UNH professor and she's the person that I am doing my best to step into her shoes at the, at the moment at the University of New Hampshire. So I'm going to let Amanda and her students and Michelle take it away. Hey, uh, hi everyone. My name is Dr. Amanda Young and I am joined here with Dr. Barry LeVay and some of our wonderful Project CAPE scholars. We are so excited and special thank you to Scott McNamara for allowing our Project CAPE Certification in Adapted Physical Education scholars to moderate this special edition of What's New in Adapted Physical Education podcast. Through the U.S. Department of Education grant, we are able to bring APE experts to the CSU Long Beach campus for workshops with our master's scholars. We recognize the impact these experts have on our field of APE and thank them for their continued support to train the next generation of APE specialists. I am joined today by our two scholars, Elsie and Dana. Hi everyone, I'm very excited to be here. I'm Elsie, I'm a second year teacher in Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, I did my undergrad studies here at Cal State Long Beach where I'm continuing my education and I'm a grad student. Um, I teach students from preschool to eighth grade and yeah, I'm very excited to be here and have a nice conversation with Michelle. Hi, I'm the other person here. My name is Dana. I'm a recent graduate from George Mason University in Virginia. During my undergrad, I completed my practicums in student teaching at several Fairfax County public schools, where I learned health and physical education for students in K-12. And at those times, I was fortunate enough to learn from several APE teachers on the field and lead the lessons in ID, IDS classes and inclusive classes. Now, like Elise, I am also a Project CAPE scholar at Long Beach State, where I'm continuing my studies in adapted PE. Now, today we are very fortunate enough to have a wonderful APE expert with us, Dr. Michelle Greener. She has extensive experience in the field of physical education. She has taught at the elementary middle and high school levels and worked with students with disabilities in general and adapted physical education settings. Dr. Greener has worked with school systems throughout the country on exclusive practices for students with and without disabilities in physical education. On an international level, Dr. Greener spent three months in Latvia while on sabbatical and has worked extensively with European and Asian countries, assisting teachers on utilizing best practices to promote full engagement and participation in physical education. She has presented at the state, national, and international levels and is, and is a professor emerita from the University of New Hampshire, 
past president of the National Consortium for Physical Education for for Individuals with Disabilities, and is an adjunct professor at the University of South Carolina. Dr. Greener has taught undergraduates and graduates in elementary, elementary pedagogy and practicum, inclusion in physical education, and adapted and disability sports. So welcome, Dr. Greener. How are you doing today? I am very good. Thank you, Elsie. And I'm proud of my French heritage, too, and it's Grenier. This is how I pronounce it. Yeah. So there's many ways of saying it. Grenier, Grenier, Grenier. So Grenier is the way to go. All right. We'll make sure we say Grenier. Thank you. Um, Merci beaucoup. Well, that, that was an extensive background. Can you tell us a little bit more about your professional background and related to PE, APE? Thanks. It's wonderful to listen to both of your stories because similar to both of you, I started as a PE teacher, graduated with a degree in health and physical education. I'm from New England, University of Massachusetts. Never, ever thought I would be in higher education. You know, that was not a possibility. But as time went on, I got an advanced degree, a master's in special physical education with Ron Croce from the University of New Hampshire. And then beyond that, I was like, hey, potentially I could get a PhD. And I went on to the University of New Hampshire and got a PhD in education. So I was just really fortunate enough to have some great mentors, some great experiences, but also a good foundation of teaching physical education before I got my master's and before I went into um, uh, getting a PhD. So that's my story. Oh. So tell us about your program and experiences at the University of New Hampshire. Um, After getting my PhD from the University of New Hampshire, I was fortunate enough to um, be hired uh, as a professor there. And for those of you who don't know New Hampshire, well, Scott is now uh, teaching there at the University of New Hampshire. It's way up in, you know, New England. But it's a wonderful place. It's not a big state. We have a million people there, unlike uh, where we are right now in Long Beach or along Los Angeles. Traffic for us is five cars back from a red light. Uh, So it's a little bit of a difference there. But I ended up working in a physical education teacher education program. So it's a PEED program. And my responsibility was really training physical education teachers. A difference that we from us to what goes on here is we didn't have an APE endorsement, an APE certification. So in the state of New Hampshire, all of our physical education teachers teach the students with disabilities. And that's kind of an interesting twist. So within the PEED program, there was this strong embedded of you are embedment of this philosophy that you're going to teach all of the children in your classroom. So, you know, within our PEAT program, we do have this kind of interdisciplinary approach at the elementary and middle and secondary levels that really looks at more of an inclusive model, you know, as much as we can sort of uh, within that framework. I, I really like that because I find from my own experience, um, sometimes you can get pushback from a general PE class and um, just not knowing how to modify and accommodate, accommodate um, skills and how did, how did you, um, how hard or easy is it to train um, gen ed PE teachers in, you know, including our students? That's a great question. 
It takes, you know, when we'd bring kids in and we'd bring adults in, that was a big part of my philosophy when I was teaching. It's all hands-on. You don't, you learn from a textbook you can learn in a class, but when you're actually directly, as you know, working with students, that's how you learn about, okay, how, what, what, what's going to work, what doesn't work. So when we first started bringing students in, which was really important, some of my students would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It can be a little intimidating, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Particularly if they've had no experience, right. either a family member or working with other kids with disabilities. But over time and through programs on campus, it really became an assimilation process and you know, for them. This is what we do. And it, it, it's a little bit of a mind shift for them. But over the course of, they would have me for a lot of, uh, of their classes as well because there was really three primary faculty members. So over that time, they came to understand really the significance of teaching all children. Not that they weren't challenged, certainly, by uh, some conditions and also out in the schools. But I think that was the overriding philosophy that all the fact our faculty approached uh, at the University of New Hampshire. And again, remember, we're a small school. It's a right. relatively small s state. And we have a close relationship with a lot of the teachers that we work with for the practicum experiences. Oh, nice. Um, so in New Hampshire, um, here we have our practicum where we have an after school uh, program and we have uh, children coming onto campus where um, uh, pre-service teachers can get that first-hand experience in creating lesson plans and behavior management. Do you have something similar in New Hampshire? Well, within our practicum, again, it's a PEAT program. So we had an elementary practicum class where for 60 hours was a semester-long class. They had to go out into the schools and work with teachers. And I was pretty selective with the teachers that um, we worked with. And then at the secondary level, they also had a 60-hour practic practicum. And then they had a student teaching experience of another 120 hours a whole semester. So in addition to being out in the schools, we would also have, a, we had a weekly program of uh, young adults with developmental disabilities coming in. So it was kind of twofold, both on campus and off campus experiences uh, with working with the general population students with disabilities, so in their natural school environment and as well on campus. And this is for all students, not just adapted PE. This is what they needed to do yeah. to get certified K through 12 health and physical wow. education. They had a lot of practicum awesome. experiences. Yeah, it was good. We also have a fifth year program for the master's students. So it, you know, some students chose after four years, they're like, I'm done, I want to get out into the schools. Others opted for that fifth year master's program, and that was a little bit different track. Um, so you know, during our grad program, we have a class that we're going to take um, on universal design for learning. But that is perfect, and it is there's a reason why you're in this book. <laughs> you had to find ways to, you know, universally design your lesson so that all students can be successful. Was there a specific experience or time when you were out teaching um, where you know you wanted to pursue um, more education? Is that the reason why? Because you saw that need. You mean like why did I write the book? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it, oh, in New Hampshire, there's um, not that many AP. You started in general ed, right? Well, I started in general ed. I remember my one of my first. PE teaching jobs was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And you know, when you start in there, say, well, we're going to give you the toughest schools, right? You come in <laughs> at the bottom. However, the toughest schools are usually the ones that teach you the most. Yeah. And so at each of those schools, we had kids with physical disabilities and then kids with emotional disabilities. I was in two schools. And 
What was really cool, I predate many of you because kids with disabilities were in a separate classroom, but we didn't have an APE teacher who would come. And so it was my responsibility to work with the special ed team to include these kids within the PE program. And, you know, it, it was kind of cool. I was like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? So it was a very, you know, collaborative problem solving activity. I think that was my first experience is really working with teachers, figuring out how to make things work. And then that evolved into just being a PE teacher, I think, led to the inception. Well, I've also other people had written about universal design for learning, but really being a PE teacher in a general education setting sort of uh, contributed to that practice and that philosophy towards the book. And looking back um, specifically in higher, higher education teaching aspect of your career, what have you found most rewarding? Well, I bet what Dr. Young says when she goes out into the schools and sees each of you teach is like, that is really cool. I love what they're doing. So I think as a faculty member, I'm sure Dr. LeVay will say the same thing. To see we're, we're not responsible for you. You are the sort of the talent but what you do makes us really proud of what you are doing. I think that would be the biggest reward for a faculty member is to see kind of not necessarily the legacy, but the work that continues in the schools with your students and the impact that you will have on the lives of these children as well as the other people that you're working with. So I think that that's really we have a we have a great job in higher education in that we're able to work with individuals such as yourself who are making a difference in the world. Um, I remember, I think it was my second time that I went to NAPEC, and I think Dr. LeVay was receiving an award, and uh, Dr. Bittner presented Dr. LeVay, said, raise your hand if you've taken a class by Dr. LeVay. And I was sitting in the front, I looked back, and it was mostly everyone in, you know, in the hall raised their hand or raised their hand if you read Dr. LeVay's book or, you know, and it was really cool to see that, you know, a professor of mine had known so many people. So I'm sure that's that's really rewarding for you as well. Well, you'll see he's in this room right now. So that leads me to believe you didn't say that because he's here. I know you would have said that anyway. But really, he's here because it's something he loves. You know, many people retire or emeritus and move on and they're done. And I think what I see in Barry's presence here is that, yeah, this is cool stuff. I love engaging and I love working with teachers and educators. And that is a gift of our field being in education. How important is it to communicate with other professionals in the field? And, you know, just it's we, we're a small community, I want to say. But um, how is important it is to communicate and collaborate with others in the field, not just in my in your own district, in your area, but also in other other states? I suspect you could answer those questions, how important it is to collaborate. Because you mentioned right. early that you've got some teachers who provide, you know, give you a pushback. So the idea that you have to educate, you have to work with, you have to collaborate. You're a professional, mm -hmm. and professionals collaborate and work together. And sometimes you're in environments that are more collaborative uh, and sometimes uh, less collaborative. But I think those professional relationships that you build, I still remember some of my early teachers that I worked with and now the professional relationships that I have with other faculty members. You know, it's kind of this cycle. It enriches the way you think and what you do. And I think 
as a profession, if you want to keep growing and gaining and learning, then you have to, collaboration is a really key part to getting more information. Definitely. I always um, like to keep good relations with, with uh, other teachers in, in the area and just other teachers that have just started just like me. I've learned so much from them. Um, right now, we are um, uh, working in the after school program where we, you know, we help students with their lessons and creating their activities. I learn a lot from them. And, you know, I don't have sometimes the, the, a lot of time to be that creative because we have so many things to do. We write reports, we assess, we teach, we collaborate, we talk to parents. Um, so I, I learned every single time I'm here on campus at the inner after school program. Um, I, I think she's a pretty quick study, isn't she? <laughs> you're gonna see something once and you're gonna like, yeah, we're doing that, that's happening. Um, so if you've had the opportunity to travel to many countries um, while spending time in other countries, what did you learn about adapted PE? Travel. I love travel. Most of the time it's good. Some of the time, you know, it's it's has its challenges. Um, but I still love travel because I learn so much when I travel. Even coming from the East Coast to the West Coast to me is just such a change. Um, but if I look at European countries, Western European countries, Eastern European countries, we have a very different model of physical education and adapted physical education, particularly for students with disabilities. So years ago, I was uh, working in Turkey and there was no PE program. Parents actually had to accompany their children to the classes because there was no support in those programs. I think. In many countries, there's still a very medical idea about kids with disabilities. They're different. Uh, we don't know how to manage them. We have this idea of what counts as ability. And so unfortunately for many of these kids, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a great environment. It can also be a great environment. In Latvia, they had typically a, a system for students with disabilities. So there was separate schools uh, designed for students with disabilities. And, and a general education school, and one of the sentiments expressed there was that the teachers are not trained to work with kids with disabilities, so to some extent the separate schools for kids with disabilities provided more options. So I think if you, one of the things about travel again is you'll find physical education takes its form in many different ways. Some, I think Europe doesn't even have elementary PE. They don't, um, just at the high school, it's a very sport-based model. So back to that question, we're lucky we have laws that hold teachers accountable for the most part. Um, students with disabilities are required to have physical education. and. Barry can probably also attest that there was a time when kids with disabilities, we were going to school, they were not in the schools, right. you know, they were mm -hmm. excluded. I did a practicum that you are and it was in a institution. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who actually remember, you know, uh, IDA and civil rights and everything, we're all about making sure that kids have a fair shake and a fair, fair deal and I think the United States particularly in programs like you have here. You're training teachers to both advocate and to work with students with disabilities. So mm -hmm. in the United States, it's a big country and every state is a little different, right. but overall we have you know advocacy, we have efforts, and we have uh, people working on behalf of the students with disabilities. I think we're looked at kind of as a model for progress in terms of what other countries would want to be doing with respect to physical education.
Yeah, we are very lucky to have social media um, where you can connect with other teachers. Um, I know for myself, I like to go on Twitter, um, you know, and Instagram and see what other teachers are doing. And I have connected with a teacher in Spain and in India, um, which is really awesome to see what they're doing out there. Um, Dana, can you tell us just a little more about your experiences with, um, you know, communicating and collaborating with other teachers? Absolutely. Um, I love how you brought up the East Coast. That's the experience I had um, with practicums. Uh, there's inclusive classes and classes specific to IDIDS classes, and that was included in our hours. Um, in terms of different institution, we didn't have that there. Luckily, we had students coming in, schools designated for students with disabilities, which I love because you got to see how to include them with general population. Um, and also with the IDIDS class, learning about different people, because every student's different, right? Every student's different, every needs is different. Mm. Great, yep. that's great. So you have written a very successful textbook on universal design for learning, which we are using in our class. I'm very excited to get into it um, and learn and read more about UDL. Um, what is your definition of UDL? Universal design for learning. First of all, I can't take credit for it. It it uh, it's came about as a result of architectural design. So it was how do we make buildings accessible? How do we make pools accessible? And it was adopted because of through CAST and educational institutions, organizations to look at the classroom environment or the gymnasium environment. And again, it shifts more of the focus onto the environment, not that the student's impairment or impairment effects doesn't impact it, but UDL, again, from that GPE perspective is, you know, think about those kids walking into the gymnasium sometime and you know, they're like the lights or the noise or, <laughs> yeah. you know, like what are some of the ways that we can kind of mitigate or enhance the learning environment? So universal design, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing for everybody, but how we opportune examples, opportune the environment to make it so that learning is accessible in whatever way that means to the student. Yeah, we definitely have to change our, our mindset and how we approach um, teaching a, a skill and we want to make sure that our, our kids are successful, especially in those um, moderate to severe classes. We have to become a, a creative um, or whatever environment that we're in. Um, so what led you to begin the writing of this book? Lauren Lieberman is a good friend of mine. We all know Lauren. She wrote a chapter in Strategies for Inclusion and the woman is a beast. She's prolific. Uh, so she was kind of like, let's write a book on universal design for learning. There's four of us, Dr. Brian, Dr. Katrina Arndt, and Lauren and myself, as well as uh, many graduate students who contributed to some of the lesson plans. So it was really a collective endeavor. Um, it was a fun project. I, I like writing books. I think it's fun to work with people and to find out their ideas. Again, our ideas come from you out in the field and what you're doing and so oftentimes we get that information from teachers in the field what are they doing and we may translate it so it becomes in sort of a readable format but I think the idea of universal design for learning is still you know teachers 
what does it mean? You know, I think there's a little lack of clarity about it. And I certainly understand that because it's a different conceptual model than what we have learned in the past in terms of the textbooks that we're going at. So it's really, again, if you look at that social model, it's like how we look at the environment and change and what, how can we make it the learning environment more accessible? Um, through conversations with general PE teachers and um, just every teacher that I've had conversations with, I think a concern would be, you know, if it brings on more work for the junior PE teacher because here I know they have about 50 students in one classroom and now you're asking them to, you know, take the extra step to teach our students. So what's, an, what's a piece of advice for AP teachers to advocate for our students? 50 kids in any classroom is a lot. <laughs> a, we need to rethink what physical education means in yes. uh, physical education and how we can teach. If It's not just that one person with a disability who we're not reaching if we have our 50 students right. in a large classroom. It's many students who we aren't reaching. And so that that's kind of, again, a misunderstanding that you know, everybody falls into this typical kid category and the student with disability means extra work. But in fact, I think when you create this, these opportunities throughout, uh, you engage more students into opportunities. So it's not more work. It's, it does require a little bit of planning and thinking, but mm -hmm. I think as teachers, that's really fundamental to who we are. We look, we observe, Absolutely. we reflect, and we do something about it. So universal design isn't more work. It's just a little different framework for thinking about how you plan, develop, and instruct your classes. Right, because the class of 50, we definitely have kids that will, <laughs> you know, fall behind and get forgotten about, or um, if they're not the outspoken one, you know, the teacher probably won't even remember their name if they don't have it on their, on their shirt. So it's the reality of it. So um, Let me just add one more thing, too, which is really interesting, because uh, I... I had the opportunity to view my grandson here playing basketball, and um, was, you know, there was a child with a disability on the one of the teams, and it was really, I was like, this is cool, you know, and he was in the game, and you know, there was a diff marked difference. However, the kids got it after a while, like the score wasn't so important, and, and just in terms of creating more passes or more opportunities, and so when we have teachers who create those opportunities and environments for kids to learn. I think kids get that. Kids learn by what they're seeing. So it's not just that one individual. It's also a classroom education that goes on at that time. Right. It's really important to just advocate. And, and I know in some classes you're able to co-teach, um, and that, that allows the, um, the gen ed teacher just to learn a little bit more how to modify or accommodate to the students students need. Um, so what are some of your tips on including all students in PE? All right, I have a list of tips, but it's not going to take long. <laughs> I love that. Don't worry. Don't look. Don't worry. I wrote it down. I saw Amanda had everything printed out. I'm like, thank God, I actually wrote these down. Usually I don't. Um, a look at your environment. That's tip number one. What's going on in the environment? You said 50 kids. Okay, maybe can we divide a look at how we can separate out that space so it works for some kids better in this space or that space. So just even a teacher attitude can be something in the environment. That's a barrier. So just look at that. I'm a big proponent of natural supports. I think even if you have kids in moderate to severe classes, what we learn, I know 
we learn best from seeing and doing and modeling and mimicking. Mm -hmm. And so if you can create an environment where kids are working with kids, what are those natural supports for them? That's really important. That's, that's a big, uh, that's something that's really important to me. Collaborate, we mentioned. Um, educate. It, when you collaborate, you educate. You educate the teachers you, you're with and you educate the students. So it's a win-win situation. Um, I say be creative and break the rules. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Just, you know, sometimes we have this idea, like we can't do that. You know, that's not the way it's done. Yeah. Um, but it's okay like break the rules and we definitely have to think outside the box right absolutely and i think in, that's one of the reasons we're teachers is because we have the opportunity to be creative so take that opportunity break the rules if it works you know and i think technology has shown us that whether assistive technology with equipment everything else you know it's allowing people to engage and have opportunities so breaking the rules often is how we figure things out. Planning is important. If you don't think ahead, then you're not prepared. A smile, please. I think just <laughs> seeing a smile, even if fake it till you make it, I don't care. Just smile. Right. It really works. And then, um, you know, I think the last thing is that the children we work, remember that they're going to grow up and they're going to be in the world and they're going to be adults. And the idea is that we want them to be functioning adults and be in the world so that's an important piece to consider yeah I really like those tips at changing the environment uh, for myself I had a middle school class and I changed this the change of location of, of my class about five different times until I found the sweet spot and um, you know my kids are you know very into a, a routine right now and it just works out better I was able to control the environment but it didn't it wasn't until I decided to switch the location and now I'm out on the quad rather than on the PE side and that works for us. So um, I like that tip where you said change the environment and mm -hmm. thinking outside the box and being not being afraid to break the rules. Um, definitely collaboration is the most important one. Um, I have a good uh, relationship with the OT, PT and classroom teacher and I think you know we're all a team so that's really really important to collaborate. Um, with the team, but most importantly with the student too, because they can help you learn how you can best help them. It's an excellent point. Yeah. Empower the student, advocate, ask them. We forget to ask the student. Thank you for that. I can tell you've, you, that's great. That's a great story about changing the environment and what yeah. happens. Yeah. I got like just a follow up question on the UDL book, because I think a lot of people don't realize the second part of the book has all those lesson plans and there's a lot of things in common with those lesson plans it would be really good for for general PE teachers uh, those lesson plans are are there with a, a lot of good examples can you talk a little bit about you know when you guys developed the, the second part of the and you brought people in to write some of those lesson plans and and how that would be helpful to a lot of the readers and especially our students I think you know I'm really excited that you um, that they're going to be using the, the text. Can you talk about that second part a little bit and what, what it has in common? You know, because on the lesson plan, there's some things in common, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let I, me take a quick, no, so. Yeah, there are awesome lessons in here. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so I think, Barry, what you're saying is that these are lessons that can be used by everybody. And right. sometimes there's a thought process. So 
I know that we talk to our students and it's kind of like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Whereas if you have a visual mm -hmm. or if you have a diagram out mm -hmm. there, that's going to really help them. I think some ways of changing the game, modifying, accommodating, those are things that we do in our everyday practice. We look and we see something's not working. Let's scale it back. Let's pull it back. Mm -hmm. Or wait a minute, we haven't done these drills. Mm -hmm. So it's a good practice, if that's what you mean. Educational, yeah. we call it pedagogical uh, practices that involved, you know, both our task analysis, what's going on, as well as other supports that we know will work for with kids, whether it's a visual, whether it's cues. What we also put in there is some natural supports. How do you work with other kids? How can they support right. the student? Paraprofessionals who are mm -hmm. often underutilized uh, is also a big issue, and so there's some, how can we support the paraprofessional in here? But you're right, it does look at the entire classroom. And it doesn't have, you know, a, a PE setting is so dynamic and so moving, but it does offer some uh, ways to think about how you're gonna set up your class right. so that all kids can participate. There's I hope a section that's on choices, you know, that I think that's another big, I think sometimes a, a general physical educator sometimes gets locked in and says, well, this is the only way we can do it. You know, I think that's, if they have these tangible examples that are in the second half of the book, they could say, oh, okay, I, I get it now, I, I see that, you know. Yeah, choice is huge. Yeah, right. Thanks, thanks for bringing that up, both yeah. in equipment and opportunities mm -hmm. to participate. Not everybody wants to participate in this level or that level, so yeah. Yeah, that's one thing we really try to emphasize here, you know, here in our lessons and, and stuff, right? Choice. Always, choices, yeah. <laughs> options. He, uh, good visuals, music, music's so important. That's what motivates, most of the time it motivates my kid. I allow them to choose a song. I choose one kid, a kid, a kid of the week, and they get to you, uh, choose the song of their, of their preference that they say first week exercise. Then you get to choose a song, and it's been working for me, at least in the middle school setting. It's been, it, music is a bit, huge motivator. Well, I think I know who we have to bring on for our second edition, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, well, Oh, go yeah. for it. Go Wonderful. For it, now remind me how to say your name again. Said it was uh, French. A uh, Grenier. Grenier. Dr. Grenier. Grenier. Yeah. Wonderful. Now you shared a little bit about your uh, textbook, the UDL, and a lot of tips with how to create uh, great classroom settings for physical education. Now tying that with APE, what worries or excites you about the future of APE professionals? I know you mentioned that up in the East Coast, some classes don't have APE professionals, so general ed uh, PE teachers have to take over. What type of worries or excites you about the field and bringing awareness nationally? That's a great question, and I struggled with that um, a little bit. I think education has taken a, a bit of a hit with COVID, with teachers, with there's so many environmental things that have happened and gone on. Uh, so in general, across the board, you know, we've, we have to value our teachers. We have to value what they do, whether they're a general PE teacher, whether they're an adapted PE teacher, what they have to offer. So I wouldn't say what worries me. I think that teachers are working really hard right now. And it's important to recognize what they're doing and the impact on kids. Kids, many kids have had a difficult time through this time period. 
So I would, I can't say nothing. It doesn't worry. APE doesn't worry me. I think you've got, we've got strong program here in California and Texas and other states. And there's a real trend towards providing good services for students with disabilities, whatever that may look like. I think advocacy and right. having young teachers like you out in the field. So that's really all I think about is now more than ever, we need to value our educators for what they do and what they're bringing to the youth of our country and the future of our country and the importance of that. Wonderful. Now you spoke about advocacy and talking about the different states that offer APE courses. Um, what is your advice for current APE teachers or anyone who is looking to become an APE teacher in forms of advocacy? Hmm. <laughs> Again, I think I'll default back to adapted physical education, general physical education, because I, I come from, I wear both those hats. And right. so it's important to advocate for yourself, for your program, to have equitable, equitable opportunities for students. And I think whether it's a general PE teacher to pay attention, adapted PE teacher to fight for what you need. And you know, sometimes the itinerant you've mentioned, you're traveling to schools, how can you create an opportunity where students can have the best program for themselves? And so that advocacy, information, knowledge, professionalism, reaching out, going back to your professors and asking them questions. I think that's really important, but also this APE community that we have right. is, is a wonderful, wonderful community. It's, it's a great group of educators who are committed to that. So I think just reaching back and communicating with folks if you get have questions or whatever, and then seeking more information and answers. But you are our future, and I would just say, just keep going. You know, some days it's going to be really good, and then other days it's like, whoa, okay. But, you know, um, so we want to thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's definitely, um, you need to celebrate the small victories. Yes, sometimes absolutely. it's Sometimes I walk out the classroom like, well, that didn't go as planned. But then the following day I get, you know, the smallest victory, and, I, and that just makes up for whatever bad day I had. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, definitely small victories and collaborating with one another. We learn from each other just like our students learn from one another. We, us educators, will learn from one another. Now, during your career, you've been actively involved in the National Consortium for Physical Education for Individuals with Disability. And now, past president of that, uh, why should APE professionals listening to this podcast be involved in the consortium? Well, if I wasn't, I probably wouldn't know Dr. Young as well as I do the first time I met her. I was like, this girl is so beautiful. She's really cool. I think we went out running somewhere. Dr. LeVay, we were running in, at Long Beach like 50, 20 years ago when we could wow. actually run fast and far. Yeah, we could run fast and back <laughs> so, then. And in Florida, Tampa Bay. That's, that's where we were. Yeah. So a collegiality and whether you're in the schools, whether you're in higher education, but finding peers with like-mindedness, these will be your friends forever. Um, across, you've reached out to people in India. So that's a really important thing is collegiality. We're a profession and right. we have our professional organizations. I think we count on 
for example, we count on Dr. Young and, and our membership and our social media because while we may have knowledge of advocacy, uh, we don't have some of the skills that a younger generation might have. And so I think we need to, you know, sort of work with that uh, generational information that we have. I think advocacy is really important. Social media, you mentioned social media, how important. So continue with that. Appease, you know, for to uh, encourage people to become a phys adapt an adapted physical educator. I think those national organizations are really important. Going to your state conference is important. Right. So professionalism really keeps you engaged, keeps you fresh, and keeps you motivated. And I've learned a lot from being in an organization, and, but more importantly, I've met some really, really wonderful people. That's wonderful. It is, it is a very small community, and we learn a lot from each other, but still, in itself, large, like you going to Latvia, right? And I want to add one thing. PE people, APE people, they like to have fun. And that is a really important piece. They Absolutely. like to have fun. So when you go to conference, typically you have a good time or even beyond that. Yeah, I Absolutely. love conferences. I, I um, look forward to going and, you know, uh, communicating with other teachers in different districts and just learning how different, um, how different their district is run and how, you know, um, we just learn from each other. And how different our services we give our services, or um, and I and I, I keep in communication with a lot of those teachers that I meet there, and we definitely like to have fun. Definitely, I can yeah. definitely say we do. Great, yeah, they're, they're definitely very enjoyable. You get the opportunity to present yourself and then learn from other educators. Now, you yourself, did you have any opportunity to present at conferences? And then, if you did, what was your experience like? To present at conferences? Yes. How many Many. I think I learned one time because I've presented big, little, and you know, it doesn't matter if there's one person in the audience. It's like one student in the class, you still show up and you have your best game. And so I think you just be ready and you deliver and. Um, that's it. Just go. Even coming here, I was like, oh, I feel like pregame warm up, you know? So <laughs> I think part of presenting also forces you to think about what you do and to up your game a bit and right. to communicate with others. Uh, so there's more than just what you know, it's the delivery and the message, which is really important. And that's the fun part of presenting. Absolutely. Now, can you give us an example of one of your best uh, presentations at a conference that you could remember? most memorable most one. memorable yes I the most memorable I don't know if it was my best <laughs> <laughs> but I was in uh, Turkey in Istanbul and it I had a translator and wow. most of the audience was male I felt like I was in this you know UN type <laughs> of thing and just looking out and seeing the difference and the diversity and the message that we were going to de deliver, I think that was very impactful. When you go to other countries, particularly if there's a language difference, you know, some of the translations, some of the ways that they do things. I was just in Chile uh, two months ago, and while there was some challenges there, um, it was still just a, a wonderful experience working with educators because we do have a common language. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we have a common language, and even though we might have a language barrier, our physical activity teachers are like, yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I get it. So I can't pinpoint one, but I think uh, you'll find that, like teaching the class, some days it's good, some days it's better, and other days it's, you know, you learn, what, what can I do better? Absolutely. Always growing, always getting better, right? <laughs> now, as you look back on your career, what is one accomplishment that you're very, very proud of today? This was another good question. Um, probably going over time, too. You always... <laughs> Two things. One, I think I mentioned when you see your students, that's really important. Um, also, the other thing was I started this conversation saying I never thought I would be in higher education. I always looked at my professors like, they have no idea what's going on. They <laughs> oh, my God. I remember my perceptual most motor skills class in college. I was like, oh, I'm dying here. Um, but then I got my master's, and I worked with some great uh, some great educators, and I, I'm not saying go on and get your PhD, but it was a risk. I think you getting an advanced degree is a risk, but the rewards were um, immeasurable. So you never know where you're going to be in 10 years or 15 years, and I think just taking, you know, doing, a, doing your master's, doing your uh, PhD, you're you're entering into a field where there's a lot of moving parts and you both have a lot going on. So I think taking that risk is good and you never know where you'll be in 10 or 15 years. So that's kind of the reward, like, whoa, this is pretty cool, right? Where we end up. Yeah, I've, well, prior to starting the grad program, I've never thought that I would be in, uh, to teach a higher ed class, but now that I've come back and I've been able to mentor pre-service teachers and you know, um, able to go over lesson plans and give my own feedback and I have a different perspective now that I've been teaching for a year, um, it would be really cool to teach an intro to APE class and I feel like I would do good at it because I really, I really love it. Um, I really like when te the teachers come out and see me teach and I'm able to give feedback that's, that I know but I, I know what I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, you know, so that's, I, it makes you really proud, like how far you've come and it's only year one. So I am excited to see what else is to come afterwards. We need to check in with her at two, <laughs> 2033 and see where you both are, right? Do you remember that conversation we had? <laughs> where are they now? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Like Elsie here, I didn't think I was going to be out here in California um, just a few months ago. I saw the intro into Long Beach, and here I am, sitting in the room with wonderful people who know a lot about the field. Now, as for myself, That's entering great. the field and studying APE, and other people too, what advice do you have for students studying APE or future students looking at APE? I want to turn that around to you and say, what advice do you have now that you've been in the program? Oh. Um, I've had a year, well, I started the program a year after my, my first year of teaching, and now I, I feel like I have a good perspective and I'm able to contribute to the con ongoing conversations in class. Um, the past two classes that I have taken, it's been more from the perspective of a general PE teacher, so I like that I'm in those classes and I'm able to say, well, for my, my students with disabilities, this is how I teach this lesson. This is how I would modify, because a lot of the times those teachers um, don't wear the different hats they should be wearing. Um, so I'm able to, you know, just advocate for for our students and, and able to give those teachers in, in my class uh, a different perspective on how, or a different approach to, to lessons. So um, I think so far it's been going great. 
And I'm excited to take the UDL class because I think that's going to be the most beneficial for me. And um, now I have my own experiences in classes and students that I can base, um, I can share, I can share with the rest of the, the students in that class. That's a great story, Elsie. So educate your teachers, which is, right. that's yes. yours. How about yours, Dana? What, what <laughs> advice would you give now? So like Elsie, I'm excited to take the UDL class and learn more about what it takes to create an inclusive classroom. Now for myself, an advice to other future educators is stay open. Stay open to ideas, connect, create networkings, um, learn. Learn from other teachers, contact other teachers, look at social media. We talked about social media earlier. Instagram has a lot, Pinterest, Twitter, and stay open, really stay open and apply, contact people. You never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> like myself, I'm here in California, so I'm excited and I'm excited to learn more about APE. Now I did study a bit of APE in my undergrad and piqued my interest and here I am now. And then UDL, I'm very excited about it. Great. So we have some masters. We have a master's program here at Long Beach. So we have many opportunities, is what you're saying, and take advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, is there anything else as we sort of wrapped up a little bit here? Anything you'd like to share with the audience? I think we're. I really do think we've good. We're good. We've covered a lot of information. <laughs> I appreciate Definitely. you sitting. I appreciate your contributions. Again, uh, you know, just listening to how knowledgeable how you're taking your experiences and you're able to translate them into practice, that is a very cool thing. So, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing and to the rest, to anybody listening to this, um, you know, reach out to your APE community, your PE community. If you think there's something that's not quite right, uh, make a difference. Our our announcer here, Jacob. I'll even bring him on. He had he had a PE story for us. <laughs> so it it spans multiple uh, disciplines. Hi, my name is Jacob. I'm the general manager here at 22 <laughs> West, uh, the studio that the APE folks are using. Uh, my mom is a just about to wrap up a 40 year career as a physical therapist. Um, for maybe the last 20 25 years, she's been an itinerant traveling physical therapist for the San Bernardino County of Schools. <clears throat> and I've been texting her this whole podcast, <laughs> just kind of whispering like what she, what you guys have been talking about. And, you know, itinerance and the uh, overprescription of equipment that may or may not be at the, the, the heart of the student, you know, at the, the heart of the IEP. Um, this is all stuff she's just kind of groused wow, about on so the couch. Cool. <laughs> and, you know, if anything, like she's, I, I was texting her about the equipment. She's like, bro, I use pine cones and ledges <laughs> and foil balls and potato chips. Like, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I got to hit up Dr. Grenier about publishing opportunities <laughs> for my mom after this. And I will leave it there. Thank you so much for coming in here. This has been lovely to sit in on. We get to talk to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I think we're good. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here and joining us for this special edition on what's new in adaptive physical education. We are very excited to continue this um, recording as we have more guests join us and our scholars can do some interviewing and put out some great content. So thank you all for Yay, being here. Thank you.